drawing shows all the operations before and the conjunction in the background going on. The release in the head of the spirit or the child of the philosophers. And that takes place also in the body organically. So we look for these spiritual changes to be somewhere in the body. Now, Egyptian alchemists sought in the body the correspondences of, of everything that was going on spiritually and chemically and also uh, on the physical level. They thought, and I've seen the text myself, that the energies, when you reach a point in spiritual evolution, you would stop eating food and you'd live on light or spiritual energy. In fact, Akhenaten had a whole factory in the Sinai Desert that made white gold, white substance, powder of gold, that was supposedly uh, what him and his court, higher court, sought to live on. And um, when they discovered this alchemical laboratory, in fact, writings from Akhenaten that survived um, described where it was at. They went there. It had been discovered by a British um, archaeologist many years earlier. And they went into these rooms that were filled with this white powder. And they thought it was um, the, the walls crumbling. And they just swept it out into the desert. And this was actually their, their warehouses for this uh, this mana, or this gold of the gods, that was somehow processed from real gold. Um, that They thought that the intestines were much more significant than we think. Uh, and they thought that the intestines were a serpent-like in the, in the belly. And that this serpent would transform itself and be reju rejuvenated into something new when you stop eating, when it stopped serving its purpose as a digestive organ. This is this is very um, advanced thinking for such... This is an ancient culture we're talking about. In fact, um, during mummification, they often found balls, very solid balls, perfectly round balls that they called basilars. And basically, basilars are um, acutements of things in the belly that were in their diet at the time that melded together and made these hard balls, kind of like hairballs, but perfectly hard, black balls of mass, of digest, undigested matter and, uh, and beer and whatever else they were eating. Uh, something about the ancient digestive system and, the, and their diet uh, gave rise to these basilars. Well, they thought that that was the stone in the serpent below. They called it the serpent below because the intestines looked like a serpent. That was a holy thing, the basilars. So they actually saved them, and they actually fed the basilars to the pharaohs as part of their transformation, that they're eating these intestinal contents, all because of the symbolism of it. But this had to be balanced by a serpent in the head, according to the uh, Egyptian alchemist. And the brain, they thought, was the serpent in the head, the convoluted look of the brain. In the middle of the brain, they found this organ. In the brain, and all throughout our body, most, most of the things are divided into two, uh, two kidneys, you know, two lobes of the brain. And the only unitary structure in the brain is this phallic-looking uh, pineal gland, or pineal gland, as some people call it, but the original pronunciation is pineal gland because it looks like a pine cone. And it has little leaves like a pine cone. And inside there, there are little black crystals of melanin which is a light-absorbing substance, crystal. The, the Egyptian alchemists described these crystals, and they also thought that they were sacred, that they were the stone in the, in the serpent in the head. And that's how much they were into bodily alchemy. And they saved this uh, material, and they talked about it, and, um, and this whole idea was resurrected in uh, the 17th century alchemists. And they thought and believed to this day that the pineal gland is the organ of transformation, of spiritual transformation in man. Children have a huge pineal gland. As we get older, it atrophies. Um, it produces the hormone melatonin. And uh, melatonin, we think of melatonin as, as uh, regulating sleep patterns and things, but it has a lot to do with the darkness and the light. It's sensitive to the light. It's in the middle of the brain, but it's sensitive to light. And it regulates menstrual patterns, um, the tides of the body, the, lymph the lymphatic uh, circulation. It regulates the waters of the body, and it regulates um, sleep patterns. Um, it's, 
is a miraculous uh, organ in its uniqueness, really. We know that mammals have um, pineal glands. In fact, in mammals, the, the pineal, pineal gland is up in the forehead, about here, uh, which gives rise to this idea of the third eye. Um, in most mammals, there's a thin layer of skin here, a membrane, where the pineal gland is accessible to the light, and, and that's how they regulate their patterns um, of night and day and their, and, their, and their circulation of the fluids inside their bodies. When man stood up on his two legs and orientated himself to this vertical axis of reality, the pineal gland migrated over generations to the center of the head to be orientated towards the light. That's what an amazing organ it is and how orientated it is to the light. Um, there's a lot with the pineal gland that uh, modern uh, alchemists are working with, really, because of its signatures, because of the way it behaves, and because of how it's oriented to the light. Montak Chia, uh, who is, I think, the, the best Taoist living alchemist, uh, uh, does a lot of work with the pineal gland. And, um, and actually, I've uh, worked with him on pineal gland alchemy and how it can be applied uh, in the world. He does some amazing things with what's called dark room enlightenment, okay, where people go for one to three weeks in a totally darkened environment, caves in India, and they and for th the first three days they're given tryptophan, huge doses of tryptophan, and they do pretty much nothing but sleep, and they wake up in this darkness and it's pitch black, it's pitch black. The, the servants who bring them food and things wear night vision goggles to get around. And the people there, 20 to 30 people at a time, um, live in darkness, absolute total darkness, for a week, two weeks. There's three grades of initiation here, and three weeks. And those who get through the first week experience profound changes in, in vision, visionary patterns, and um, yeah. Kind of like being in the sarcophagus. It may be what was going on in the pyramid, too, because there was a lot of work with light there. Definitely a lot of work with light. And that's what we're doing here. Except we're working with light in terms of absence of light, which is the the, the uh, pineal gland relates, for instance, in the, in the winter months, it uh, secretes more melatonin, which makes us sleep deeper and, uh, and longer during the winter to conserve our energies. It's more than that, though. <laughs> Deep sleep is the time in the darkness when bodily changes take place. Not now. It's not when you're awake and walking. The bodily metabolism is almost exclusively devoted to renewing cells and to um, working on damage in the body while you're sleeping. The total loss of consciousness. And it's that blackness that the alchemists worked in openly. And, uh, and, and Taoist alchemy especially is doing some amazing things with the, with the pineal gland. People who stay in the darkness for two weeks report profound spiritual changes. Those who stay in the, in the darkness for three weeks report bodily changes, rejuvenations, and things like that. So this is really an interesting uh, uh, avenue of research. And hopefully we'll be able to hold some, some workshops like that over here some um, when these next techniques are better balanced, that's that's what the uh, Chi is as a document, and these are new things. And this program has only been going on a year, and um, you can you can find out about it on the internet. Just uh, well, go into his name M A N T A K C H I A, and there's all kinds of information about his workshop, testimonials of what's going on. And I think that Montachia is a Taoist alchemist who is very genuine. Uh, in a field where there are there are not genuine people, um, so I think his work is credible, and I think that uh, the changes that he's talking about might be something uh, a really interesting avenue of research. And this this is what we're talking about now is a fermentation experience, which is the next level of alchemy, and it takes place in the pineal gland. The pineal gland is. In the mysterious third ventricle of the brain, this open center right in the middle of the brain, and it's down a corridor, if you will. The pineal gland's at one end, and this the pituitary gland is at the other end of the corridor. The pituitary 
clan is very much a bilobe structure, very feminine looking. So the next conclusion, and something actually believed by Renaissance, Renaissance alchemists, was that there's a sexual act that takes place in the brain between the pituitary gland and the pineal gland. And that gives birth to a new fetus in the brain, if you will. And it's fascinating stuff. And there were, there were some studies done in the 1900s uh, where they documented uh, the pineal gland moving and vibrating and strange things like that. So it's an area of research that we should be aware of, I think, that there's actually some kind of physical chemistry going on. There are two sacred chambers uh, in, the, in the bones in the body. One's the sacrum, or the sacred bone in Latin, and it's right down here by the Muladhara. It's a grail-shaped vessel of bone. The other one is called the sphenoid. It's the same shape vessel that supports the brain. And uh, the sphenoid has openings. There's one opening in the center and the third ventricle of the brain. And it's in this cave-like structure where the pineal gland and the pituitary gland are at. The pituitary gland is really uh, kind of like on the roof of your mouth. Um, Sometimes during puberty, you can actually feel funny sensations in, in your mouth, like you've got a big swollen tongue. Uh, and it's actually the pituitary gland swells up when it's um, releasing so many hormones. It's called the master gland. It releases all the hormones that change your body during puberty and, and make that happen and control the cells. So it makes a lot of sense that there's something going on in the body, and that would be the other signature that the alchemists were, were looking for. Again, that's, this would be the fermentation stage because we're working with light, um, and this moves into uh, mercury and sulfur and how they relate together on these higher levels. So now we're starting to work beyond the elements with sulfur, mercury, and the new salt, as it's called. The, the fermentation stage begins... I mean, how do you enter the other side? You have to die and re be reborn there, and that's the thinking... How do you be resurrected? You have to die. And that's what happens in this first stage of fermentation. It's called putrefaction. And it's it's beyond depression in that it's a total loss of consciousness. And that's what how this Montauk Chi is where it starts. The first three days are almost a total loss of consciousness. And what comes after are these bursts of light uh, and visions and, and bodily changes. So it's, it's credible in that sense. A lot of the images of putrefaction are negative and scary, but uh, you feel dead, but there's still a life force in you. Any of you who have done shamanic drugs uh, or psychedelic drugs know that the beginning of that experience is usually where you lose consciousness for 10 minutes or whatever the, the, the drug signature is, and all of a sudden you wake up and there's all these lights and psychedelic stuff happening. But there's a loss of consciousness there, and that's a signature of putrefaction. So we're talking like the, the natural process of fermentation, where you take wine, you crush the grapes, and you let them set and decompose, and they become dead and rotten and stinking and black, just total blackness. It's like everything's dead, but there's always a life force, symbolized by the snake here, that's, that's present and ready for transformation. Another fermentation is a green lion eating sun. But... Out of that blackness uh, in the laboratory where you're fermenting something, often there's a, a white layer that appears, and it's really digesting bacteria that's forming, kind of a white juice on top of the black stuff. And that's that's bacteria that are starting to digest the, the, um, the crushed grapes. And next, after that process, that's kind of like the white light to the other side to the alchemist. It's like a promise or a hint that there's life beyond death. And the next phase is an oily, uh, a real thin oil starts secreting or forming on top of the black matter. And it's iridescent and it's beautiful. It looks like a rainbow pattern. In fact, the alchemist called it the pot of cardonis, which is the peacock's tail. Uh, they call it the peacock's tail because out of this dull bird, opens these wondrous colors with eyes it seems alive um, and that's what happens and that was their indication that fermentation was taking place and that this black substance would be spiritized and be reborn uh, and that's what happens it's reborn as the spirit of the grape which is wine uh, so it's a breakthrough to the other side however it happens oh, however we get there it could be in meditation whatever it is fermentation leads to experiences 
and other worlds, other world experiences. That's my whole interest in paranormal phenomena and, and uh, all the investigations I've done in the sacred spots and things like that. It's because I see the genuine experiences of paranormal people as alchemical fermentations and that their consciousness is actually being changed. I don't know, I don't have any evidence about spirits surviving from the other side or about aliens coming from space or anything like that. But these people believe it when they're really into this change. And things start manifesting around them. Changes in physical reality start manifesting. And it's not necessarily coming from ghosts. It's coming from their effect on matter. So it's a real alchemical process going on. Call it poltergeist or whatever you want. Issues start flying. Uh, big bangs come from wounds. Um, uh, lights flicker, electrical problems. Things happen that can't be explained. And that is very alchemical. It's the consciousness of the people going through these events. It's causing physical changes in reality, what their expect, expectations are. And, uh, and the reason they turn negative so often is because there's fear involved. And fear, when we work in alchemy, we don't have fear. You know, it's, it's the Buddhist way, uh, no fear. And that's the key to working in positive alchemy. Because fear, like, changes gold back into lead, okay? Fear brings things back down into the, into the uh, true darkness of our psychology and all the shadows that exist there. So, yeah, a lot of paranormal experiences turn out scary, but they don't have to be. And, and there are physical mediums throughout the world who've demonstrated that, uh, that consciousness affects reality in very mysterious ways. So it's a breakthrough to the other side. We're being reborn on a whole new level of reality that we don't know about and that we very rarely talked about even seriously by people. But it's an area of uh, fecundity. It's, it's creative energies available to us uh, for transformation on the body level, spiritual level. Um, it's really becoming creative. Artists, uh, we were just talking about how many al artists are into alchemy. There's, there's hundreds of artists now who are studying alchemy to get that creative connection to put into their work. And that's what fermentation is about. It's connecting with that higher creative energy. Fermentation is disconcerting and unbalancing, but boy, there's plenty of creative material there. With children, for instance, in a, in a haunted area or, or some type of paranormal phenomena, very often it's not the children who are frightened, it's the adults. And the children are actually talking to ghosts and working with ghosts and playing with ghosts. It's not until they're, they're taught to be afraid of the phenomena that, that it turns negative. Conditioned, yeah, or watch, uh, or watch Fright Night or something. Yeah. Again, fermentation um, is a process that's often overwhelming, um, and, the, and the, it's a coming together of a life force. Eyeballs are seen, and, and, and uh, in other words, there's a living presence you're sensing, and it's taking on an intelligence, um, and you need to get control of it. Often, fermentation experiences a lot of hand, and uh, there are a lot of drug addicts from the 60s who thought they were on the road to nirvana where their experiences got out of hand and it ended up a disaster. And why? Because they didn't go to the next stage in alchemy. Um, if fermentation is a is a like a religious experience, you know, or an unexplainable uh, paranormal phenomena, then distillation, which is the next phase here of working with silver and the moon, is gaining quite objectivity. Uh, laboratory distillation, this is a, a, a painting of that phosphorus discover phosphorus where the alchemist um, distilled urine. He took the dregs of urine in, in a bottle, boiled it, the vapors went up to the top and accumulated in the vessel, and then he took that material and, and distilled it again. The more times you distill something, the purer and more concentrated it becomes. And finally he had it so concentrated that he had basically nothing but phosphorus and some other chemicals, and, and, uh, and it gave off light like this, as we were saying. That's the process, the physical process of distillation. It, and distillation, uh, in other ways, is working with these two currents, usually. Two currents of energy, um, often deliberately working with them, shown as a sword or a soldier or something like that. There's, there's, there's many, many drawings of distillation, purification, vines growing up in the air and coming back down. Uh, all this as above, so below is a distillation process. There are... There are more distillation drawings, I think, in alchemy than any other because it was such an important process, such a magical process to the alchemists um, that they honored it very much. In fact, they thought it was the process of the whole universe. 
that the whole universe is going through this distillation of spirit into matter. And the rebus, after all this distillation, um, you, you end up with a solution that's very thick. Uh, it's called the mother of the stone. In other words, it's almost matter. It's almost uh, congealed, purified matter. And they call that the rebus, um, or the, the, the perfect body with both consciousness, masculine and feminine. And they thought they were making this during distillation. There's lots of diagrams of distillation, as I said. Here we see the rebus, which is male and female conjoined in one body. Um, and the, the ego behind them is lifting them up in the distillation process. And you come back down in distillation. And that's below is showing all the dead bodies of the egos from the previous processes. So there's, there's hundreds of bodies of egos that are representing how many times this process going into the above and coming down below has gone on. There's something about that coming up and going down and coming up and going down that materializes something. And that's true uh, in laboratory work, too. Something new comes out of that process. And sometimes it's a stone or, or a very solid object. Sometimes it's a new spiritual essence. But uh, distillation is a magical process to, in alchemy. Again, the rebus shown taking place above just as it takes place below. Another picture of the rebus and serpentine energies. I mean, there's just hundreds of them in alchemy. The idea here in distillation is, is actually purification, and the color here is white, and the and the moon is associated with this type of purification. Um, the white color of the moon as it reflects is considered a pure repository of soul, if you will. In fact, Gurdjieff um, believed, half seriously, I think, that the only reason we exist is to feed the moon. We feed, we feed our souls to the moon. The only reason we exist is to keep the moon going. Uh, that's, that's a very alchemical idea, too. And these are the two currents, fractal currents of, of distillation. And this is a Taoist distillation, um, where it's called distillation of the light. We're not going to have time to do this today. Uh, I really recommend this if you want to feel the energy, because this takes a while. Uh, but basically, it's uh, sitting in meditation and circulating the energies. You can work with what they call the chung energy or the sexual energy or the ching energy, uh, which is kind of like prana and the belly and bringing together in this and vessels in the body. And the main vessel is this monopura or tandine uh, stomach vessel just behind the navel where these energies are mixed. You mix in the chung energy and the chi energy and by bringing the soul energy and the spirit energy together, you create energy. Okay? By bringing these opposites together, you create energy, and that generates a light. And that light is circulated up the channel of function in the front of the body and down the channel of return in the back. And it's tried to, they try to accumulate it then. When this light rises, accumulate it in this other vessel in the, in the, in the head. And by doing this, by continuously, and uh, Dallas alchemists do this for years and years, um, the, the light materializes. The light becomes heavy. The light becomes liquid. And finally, it turns into a pill. This is a distillation process, a, a metaphysical distillation process. And that light becomes real. And when it becomes real, it goes to the stomach and becomes an impregnated new energy or a new birth that, that, that changes the whole body. I really recommend a book called Secret of the Golden Flower. Um, and it's by Richard Wilhelm. W-I-H-E-L-M. In this last process, co coagulation really, if everything was done right before, coagulation is no big mystery, really. Things just fall into place. If the birth is taking place through distillation, if everything you've done before uh, congeals and comes together, the, the birth takes place. And it's all then a, an idea about making it real. Coagulation is about making it real in the world. So this whole process is like an octave, if you will. It's, it's the seven original notes of the scale, and the eighth note is a repetition of the original note at a higher level of vibration. So, and it repeats like that, and that's, that's the music of the spheres and the musical interpretation of alchemy. 
and that's that's this process that goes on with, within us. So it's the same thing you started with. It's that first matter, or your ego, or, or your identity, or whatever it is, or something in the lab. But it's been transformed to a whole new level, or a whole new vibration, a whole new energy level. And uh, that's in the body and spirit. It's universally shown as an androgynous youth, um, often as Mercury, that resists any corruption, that resists any onslaught from society. Uh, once you're coagulated, it's like being Buddha or Christ in the world. Um, uh, nothing can get to you because you're pure gold. Um, gold doesn't tarnish it. Gold doesn't wear. It's completely malleable. Um, there are many images of, of uh, coagulation because it was the goal. And the, the final card in the tarot is a magician at this level. So you start off as a fool, and you end up as a magician. You're basically the same person, but you're at a higher level, and you're able to affect reality then. The fool, in its knapsack, has everything it needs for the journey. This is one of the secrets of the fool card in tarot. Uh, it has the first matter, it just doesn't know it. It's a fool. It's carrying it with him but he doesn't know that it's there for him to transform into the magician. And the fractal coagulation there, and, uh, and the stone, the symbol of the stone. Any questions uh, on this higher process? The, the work that's to be done on these processes works anywhere. It works in relationships, it works anywhere. Uh, I've given uh, lectures and wrote articles for the California State Supervisors Association on these are chemical process changes and how they apply to the state. And that's the job. You know, what's the ego of state workers? It's the bureaucracy. You know, that's the super uh, ego, or down to bad term, but that's this grand ego that controls their action. And you have to destroy that. And you tell a state worker to, and, and I don't mean you, Eric, but <laughs> you tell a state worker to destroy the bureaucracy, and it's like utter panic because these people are not alive at work are not alive at work and they don't want to be alive at work because they've got this thing, this artificial structure doing their work. They don't take responsibility, but they're not alive. And I know you're alive at work. <laughs> I've talked to you on the phone at work. <laughs> but uh, it works anywhere. Yeah. This process, how many times can be an individual the shortest time, according to alchemists, to experience this process is three times the whole process to, to achieve um, success and to end the process. They call it the first The first seven steps were called the lunar uh, conjunction because actually in this process you come back to conjunction. You come back to the earth. You don't stay in the above in coagulation. You come back to matter. You know, it's nurses the earth. So it's not about going to heaven and sitting there in, in absolute boredom at this next to uh, Jehovah sitting in a big king's chair or something like that, you know, with angels floating around. It's coming back to the earth and changing and spiritizing the earth like Buddha did and Jesus did. So the end result is back in conjunction. It's back in the back in the world of this. And so the first one's called the lunar conjunction, and which means basically bodily and, and structural type conjunction. The second one's called the solar conjunction, going through these seven steps again, which is basically mental changes and psychological changes and learning to work with consciousness. And the third one is called the stellar conjunction, which is basically becoming a spiritized body. Or, as Hermes said, returning to our home in the stars. The stars are from whence we came. The whole planetary ladder is about hopping back to the stars. 2001 is just a really marvelous alchemical movie about going back to Saturn. Although in 2001 it's Jupiter, um, it was originally meant to be Saturn. They couldn't do it in the, in the uh, crops or something like that, so it ended up Jupiter. But it was Saturn, and it was being shot past Saturn into the universe and to return to the stars, and the child that came back at the end of that picture, orbiting Earth, returning to the Earth, the whole thing's an alchemical story. Um, there's an article about it uh, from someone on the Alchemy Lab website in the Alchemy Journal, and, and it's really an amazing movie. You should watch it again with, with this process in, in mind, and you'll see it. You'll be able to identify it every time. The, the monolith, the black monolith that appears, and I don't know if you remember it, but I know you've all seen it because everyone's seen that movie. But um, at the beginning of the film, in the theatrical version, 
nothing but a black screen for several seconds. Then the music starts. Then the movie starts. And the monolith appears among these apes. And I'm sure you know it all. There's that wonderful scene where the ape um, throws up the thigh bone and it turns into a uh, orbiting spaceship. Remember that? Uh, it's like we discovered uh, tools through the intervention of this extraterrestrial or whatever it was, stone, this, this monadic stone. And that we've made no progress since then is what, um, what the filmmaker is saying. In other words, throwing that up and turning it into a spaceship, all the millions of years of human history between that means nothing. We haven't changed from the apes. We're still using these material tools. We're just building bigger things, and we're still killing each other. All those millions of years mean nothing in human history because we haven't changed. We haven't evolved. And, uh, and the monolith then appears uh, throughout the movie whenever a spiritual change occurs. There's always an alignment or a conjunction of, this, of the moon, earth, and stars uh, in the movie. Watch it, watch it again with, with this in mind, and you'll really be astounded uh, the message that's being conveyed there. And the overall message of that film, the model, the black screen that appeared on the original cinematic uh, screen in theaters is the exact same dimensions <coughs> as the monolith throughout the movie. In other words, the monolith makes an appearance before you even know it. It's that black screen that comes on. And what's it doing? The alchemy. Whenever the monolith appears, there's changes in the people. And that's what... Um, that's what the idea of making that film was all about, that there would be an alchemical transformation that would take place. And the symbolism of that black screen at the beginning of 2001 is the model of the exact same dimensions throughout the movie as the, as the cinematic screen. Um, and that was the intent, really, to change people. And it did, really. I remember when I saw it, and I've seen it 15 times uh, in many different languages. <clears throat> when I first saw it, people were scratching their heads saying, what the hell does this movie mean? And there were, a lot of people walked out in the middle of it, uh, especially when that psychedelic scene at the end started. And they thought it was about drugs, but um, that's just one example of a lot of movies that are all chemical. I didn't think it was as much, although uh, the intent was there, I think. Uh, 2010 is a really significant date. 2012, really, is a significant date in alchemy. Um, May 5th, uh, well, 2000 was supposed to be a May 5th date, and the, but there's been signatures in the, in the galaxy, really, that there's major changes coming. And, um, for instance, the planetary alignment, and that was supposed to... The Mayan calendar expires December 11, 2012. Uh, the, the Hermetic prophecies talk about changes that take place in Egypt and that area, and they point to 2012, uh, written by Hermes himself or whoever Hermes was channeling then, or whatever. Uh, there's, there's lots of things that point to that. One thing was the alignment that you're talking about in the year 2000, where all the planets got on one, one side of the sun. There were books written that it was going to tear apart the planet. But what's significant is that the event occurred just this May on the opposite side of the sun, balancing those energies, coming together like that, uh, into what would be major changes uh, in the galaxy, major changes on Earth, and a lot of people think that. In fact, I personally think that we've got 10 years, you know, we should start a 10-year project to change ourselves and make ourselves more spiritual for whatever changes. I don't necessarily believe the planet's going to split apart or anything like that. It may be something like that, but it's certainly going to be traumatic on a spiritual and psychological level, I think. Yeah. Oh, there's a planetary alchemy. I mean, from the beginning of the planet, the calcination of volcanoes and, and the great flood and dissolution and the separation of the continents and the conjunction um, coming together. To, and there is, um, in the procession of the equinoxes, the next phase is Aquarius, which is traditionally just fermentation um, symbol, the putrefaction phase coming before. So this short putrefaction phase that we're due for <laughs> on the planet seems to be lining up for that year 2012. I mean, really it's time for a personal 10-year project and I think the way to, to survive that is to become more spiritual because it's spiritual energies. Fermentation is always about spiritual energies entering into matter. Um, 
I have no evidence of that other than these indications and some prophecies. Nostradamus predicted the same thing, an alchemist. We've got about 28 minutes to do this <laughs> planetary tincture, so I'm going to move on to that. Um, uh, when you get your uh, tincture uh, container jar, we're using uh, today chamomile, which is a very solar herb. It has all the signatures of the sun in it. Even if you open the tincture jar and you'll see that these little flowers really look like the sun. And when they're fresh, they're, they're orange ball shaped with all these rays coming out of them. They look like miniature suns. They have other signatures. Um, get to know this herb. Try and, try and connect with the signatures. Smell it. Smell it. Smell it's sweet, balancing. This herb cannot harm you, really. Um, it's solar. It, it can build health in the body. It builds wholeness and balance on all levels. Um, and it's a, it's a great herb uh, to work a tincture from. The process we're going to be using is the most simple tincturing process, um, one which you can do, and it's outlined in that orange sheet. Um, Are you aware of this from? The herbs or the jars? The herbs or the jars? Star, Star West here. Yeah. <clears throat> Last year we did, I think, uh, what was it, lemongrass, and I grew that myself and, and calcinated. Part of the calcination process is this drying, so these have already been kind of calcinated. Um, and what we're going to do is, in the jar, after you smell it, try to get a feel for it, it's, it uh, of its solar signatures and its solar characteristics. Pour some in your hand a little bit and and uh, and play with them and crush them maybe. Um, crush them in your hand. It should crush very easily. We're going to end up trying to crush all these. And uh, you can do it in the jar by putting your thumb against the herb and pushing it against the side of the uh, herb. This process of crushing is also a calcination process. Um, you can look at it as crushing the ego because we're, we're taking away the identity of this flower. And you want to continue to flush it, but still with a loving attitude, okay? It's not like you hate this herb. It's that you want to release what's inside of it. And attitude's very important during the, during the tincturing process. And just keep moving it around inside there by pushing your thumb down, and you're going to macerate it pretty good here. You're going to get it down, ideally to kind of a powdery state. And you'll notice that it's releasing some odor. Um, and that's the signature, the beautiful signature of, of chamomile. Uh, and just keep doing that. We've only got 13 minutes to do this. Okay? This next stage is called animating the mercury. And we're going to be putting more spiritual energy into this. And it'll be the spiritual energy from this room. And there's a good amount of it here, believe me. So uh, these should be really charged tinctures. I'm, uh, to animate the mercury, there's a number of different techniques. Basically, it's a meditation where you put positive spiritual energy in, into this. We're going to do a, I think we'll do for a change, uh, a Taoist uh, animating the mercury routine. And you want to, now you want to open your uh, herb and put it on the table in front of you and clear away other things so it's kind of right in front of you there. And we're letting the the, uh, the tincture breathe now. And what we're working on is bringing in the celestial breath or the celestial fire into this. So we're letting it breathe the prana in the air, if you will, or the first matter in the air. And by this breathing process, by it being closed up like that and shaped, this is the initiation of this, this, uh, this cycle. What we want to add to this is called animating the mercury, animating the spirit. And... Uh, the way that Taoists do it, Taoist tinctures, uh, one technique, okay? When you get your tincture in front of you, I want you to stand up. Okay, now, with the tincture in the middle of your body, put your, put your uh, arms behind your back like this with the palms facing backwards, and then bring them forward, 
like this and face the palms like that and then bring them back down slowly. Okay, that's the cycle we want now. Back, behind your back, way behind your back, and then up again, and then turn the palms to face each other. Don't go above your chest too much, even in the chest area. Okay? So you want to sweep the air and bring it up. And this is the original pattern. Now we're going to change it slightly. So um, bring your palms down and in your back, and while they're behind you, turn your palms so they face forward. Okay, does everybody hear me? Okay, swing your arms behind your back and then turn your palms facing forward and then bring them forward. And then turn them facing down and bring them back to your back. That's it. Palms behind you, palms facing out, palms facing up in front of you, then turn them and down. That's right. Okay, now you've got the movement. And while you're doing this, I want you to meditate almost as if you're moving in a dream. So move very slowly, very slowly. Feel the key energy or the pranic energy or the, the first matter energy that's in this room, the spirit matter that's all around us. You'll feel it between your fingers as you move them slowly like this. Almost as if you're swimming in heavy water or moving in a dream. That's it. And do this for a few seconds here so you can feel something. Okay, bring your hands up then uh, and bring them down one more time. The next time up, bring your palms facing each other and hold it there. Just below uh, your throat or in the middle of your chest. That's it. Hold it there. See if you can feel something there and play with that. That's an energy. It's it's should be a feeling like a ball and feel it between your hands there. Move your palms around. Try to feel this. Stuff. Try to polish it. Try to play with it a little bit. Almost as if there's a solid object there and you're determining its boundaries by where you sense the energy of it. Okay? When you're feeling that, when you feel like it's there, and I can see it here, <laughs> I want you, normally the Taoist alchemists would, would take this into their tantine, they'd move it into their belly area. We're going to sacrifice it into the herb. So you want to push it down into your container, slowly so that you have control of it all the time and feel it all the time, and push it down into your open container. it down and form it into the container and sacrifice it into the container. And when you feel you've done that, cup your hands around it and hold it there. Just for a second so that the celestial breath is, is meeting us here. Okay, now put the lid on it and tighten it really tight, hermetically sealed. That's it. Okay, now once it's sealed, you can sit down again. Uh, keep it between your palms here. We're going to have to do that for the next five minutes or so. If you have a place to keep it on your body, uh, you can put it there <laughs> to keep it warm. Uh, for the men, I don't know, between our thighs or maybe under our arms. or No, it, the idea now is to keep it warm. It's like your baby. And um, when, you, when you take it home, if you have to put it in your purse or something, of course that's okay. I don't want to say what's going on up there, but... <laughs> the idea is to we're, we're incubating it and this is the start of the incubation um, when you get home you can put this in a window uh, on a refrigerator or radiator um, what's going to happen if you do put it in a window you want to shield this from light so if you do put it in a window you can use 
that dastardly material, aluminum foil. Just don't let it ever touch the tincture itself. But you can cover this with aluminum foil so it'll be safe from the light. Put it in the window, that's really an ideal place. And what will happen in there? Hmm? Moonlight's all right, but uh, oh no, moonlight for the tincture? No, no. Uh, for the elixir, that's a different matter. Yeah. A what? Yeah, a cloth is fine. As long as, yeah, that would be better. Um, if you have an incubator, <laughs> happen to have an incubator, uh, incubator is basically like a, an ice chest, a, a styrofoam ice chest with uh, with a heating pad in it. Um, that works really well. But uh, a window's fine. What you have to do, though, is pay attention to this. Now, it's like that egg people, teenagers take home to learn how to parent into it. Attention and intention is what we're going to be using to animate this further. So daily, shake it, keep it in a warm place, keep it out of the light, and this is going to go on for a week or two. And you can peek at it uh, once every three days or so, and what you'll see is a natural distillation starts taking place in here. The, the, warm, the warmness causes the alcohol, which vaporizes at a very low temperature, to start circulating. And it'll go to the top of the container and it'll drop back down into... Um, into little drops back into the solution, just as just as the alchemist alchemical apparatus does it, except this is a natural distillation process, completely self-contained in here. And as it does that, it'll concentrate the essences more and more, and the the, the fluid in here will be will be turning darker and darker. And that's really what tincture means. It means turning dark, and you, and that darkness contains the essence of this. So. One to two weeks, when you feel it's ready to come out, after this, you want to check to make sure it is distilling, that there's little droplets of liquid on the top uh, and that it's getting darker. And when it gets very, very dark, the darkest you think it's going to uh, turn, that takes about uh, two, three weeks at the max. Um, you can open it up, and then you have your tincture. All you do is pour it through a, a coffee filter, and you have the pure beautiful green-yellow colored uh, tincture of Camille. And that can be used, because this is a salt extract or a physical extract, it's really good for physical ailments, um, balancing the body, uh, feminine problems, and uh, uh, colds and the flu, uh, stomach problems. Um, you, can, you can drink it, uh, take a few drops, in tea, um, put a couple drops under your tongue. If it's an acute attack of something uh, and you want to use a Camille energy, put a, put a drop or two under your tongue and, it, and it's absorbed almost immediately. If you want to use it in meditation, that's, that's the way you use it. You put the drops under your tongue until they completely dissolve, uh, until you completely can't taste it anymore as part of a spiritual meditation. The meditations always are about the sun here solar meditations. After you have the tincture, you can take it out into the sunlight and use it as part of like a greeting for the sun or any type of solar activity um, that's, that's uh, if you want to become one with the sun, that type of Akhenaten uh, meditations. It's good for that on a spiritual level, but yeah. Uh, not because because it's hermetically sealed. You don't want it boil, boiling, and it's not going to be boiling um, in this container. So the, the problem would be melting this, you know. Just keep it from melting. Uh, you're dealing with alcohol, though, and so you don't want it near any... Uh, this is really flammable uh, alcohol at this stage. You don't want it near any open flame or anything like that. Yeah, that's a good heat. That's a good heat. Furnace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and so, and then if you want to make the elixir, when you when you filter out the, the tincture through the coffee filter, save everything that's in the coffee filter. Save all that, what they call the drapes, or the alchemists call it the caput mortem, the dead head, <laughs> the, the dead salts, the depleted salts, and you use that uh, then to make the elixir. What you do is... You take those out outside normally, and you light them, and then they uh, they burn away. And you keep 
you actually take the ashes and you roast them in a pan. And the idea is to get them as near white or as near light gray as possible. All the ashes of what's left there. And in fact, uh, in alchemy, if you continue heating uh, the ashes, it, it becomes uh, an elixir. And that's what uh, elixir means. It means from the ashes. You can heat ashes actually until they turn red. It, it's a long process, 3,000 degrees at a week. But ashes will actually turn reddish color, and that's a very powerful elixir. But you want to get them as white uh, as you can and by burning them and roasting them. And then you add them back to the tincture fluid that you've got in this jar, and you mix them again and go through that whole everyday paying attention to it, incubating it, this time usually much longer, and up to three months doing that. And then you have a very charged elixir. And the ashes will, um, again, uh, uh, absorb the essence on a higher level, and that those ashes that are left from this, any anything that's left from that at the elixir stage, you can ha use as a powder, and you're not going to get mu very much. But that powder is an elixir powder and extremely concentrated uh, solar energies. And mm -hmm. you can just throw them away. If you don't want to make the elixir, you can you can throw those away. It's all it's all on that orange sheet. So okay, all right. Uh, I guess they need this room, so uh, we're going to clear and go down to the bookstore area. Uh, we fortunately we got our tincture down here on the right time. So that's it for this part. If you want to hang around a little bit more down in the bookstore, uh, we get, we'll do the meditation down there and. Uh, if you don't stay around, thank you very much for coming and I appreciate it.